Tell me the one safety deemed such destruction. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's time for another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Coming to you on Channel1138.com, StarWarsUnderworld.com, IPCPodcast.Podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a whole host of other places. And speaking of hosts... I'm your host. That's right, Zach Arnold back for another go-round, and this time we've got a very familiar franchise that we're returning to. Uh, A new episode just recently dropped. We're only going to be talking about that first episode. Uh, By the time you listen to this, there may have been a second or third one that's been released, but we're just going to look at this first one, this season premiere, and uh, hopefully we'll get into a lot of depth, get to talk about a lot of Easter eggs and cameos and whatnot but I definitely don't want to do that by myself. So at this time, I'm going to bring in my buddy, my co-host, been with me since day one, and uh, this is now day 307. <laughs> yes, apparently. Like year 6.2 or something like that. It's been a crazy ride, man. And we're back for another one. It's Mr. Ben Hart. How's it going, Zach? How's it going, everybody? And yeah, um, as you mentioned, the Mandalorian is back, yeah. and uh, so are we. So we're returning to the Star Wars universe to discuss the very first episode, Chapter 9, The Marshal. And uh, yeah, you know, there's there's going to be more episodes releasing throughout the week, so be, as we're recording this, we'll be getting another episode in a couple of days. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Um, but uh, we're only going to be discussing this first one because we've only seen the first one. So, uh, right. But there's so much in this first episode. I think it does require its own personal 
episode all to its own to discuss. And maybe maybe later in the season we'll come back to this and discuss more Mandalorian. But for right now, we've got one episode, and it's a hell of an episode. It really is. And if you do want to have like a in-depth, week-by-week discussion of this show, then be sure to go check out Radio Razorcrest, part of the Star Wars Underworld Network. Uh, I might be hopping on for an episode. I know you're on several of those episodes, right. Ben. We did like a, a giant uh, crossover type of episode at Disneyland one time with <laughs> yes. Thomas Jones uh, talking about one of the episodes close to the season finale, and that was a lot of fun. So uh, Radio Razor Crest, if you want like a week-by-week analysis, but uh, we'll probably have like a season premiere, maybe something in the middle of the season and a season finale or something like that because – Honest to God, man, this is like the first new content we've gotten in months. It like, is like we, we got we like go and, and back Tenet. to back with Camp Cretaceous too. Right, we didn't we didn't go see Tenet and we didn't go see New Mutants, even though I kind of wanted to go see New Mutants. I never got around to it. Uh, like this is the first new ish content that we've been able to get. And you're right. It, it's bookending camp Cretaceous and we've got new episodes of star Trek discovery that are dropping as well. And so we're going to be getting into that in the not too distant future, even though they are way in the distant future at this oh, point. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, but like, dude, there was so much in this episode, the Marshall that I was so, impressed by from the visuals to the music to the acting to the action sequences the the cgi the world building like there was so so much about this episode that helped us dive a little deeper into star wars as a lore but also helped us to like appreciate some of film history when you think back to like the old westerns and stuff right and to, to throw all that into a 54 minute episode is really impressive yeah i mean it, it's funny looking back on the first season especially that first episode i remember going into that episode thinking you know not knowing what to expect i don't think anybody really knew what the mandalorian was going to be especially that last scene you know it definitely kind of redefines the whole show you know in regards to what was shown in the teasers and baby yoda was not in any of them so like going forward into that was crazy because that episode was kind of like what you expected but not at all what you expected at least from my perspective so this new season really was like we know what to expect but at the same time we don't and there was a lot right. of you know stuff in there that was rumored. You know, you got Cobb Vanth, you got you know, you got Boba Fett at the end. Like you know, there's there's a lot of stuff in there that like we we heard was might be coming, and it was confirmed in this episode. But there's also so many other you know small things and big things that I think really shocked me. And like I was talking to Razor Radio Razorcrest a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, a few days ago. It feels like a few weeks ago because it feels it, like weeks because man. this last just... couple days have been like weeks long. All right. Uh, 2020. When will you be over? Apparently not. I'm, I think we're gonna get to the end of December, and we'll be like, "Oh, December 31st, midnight. We're we're finally over, and it's gonna be like December 32nd." Yep. And it's just gonna keep going forever. We're never gonna be rid of this year. Yep. But yep. anyway, but anyway, I was talking to Razor Razorcrest how this episode blew my mind legitimately because it was just so many things from you know the pod racer that got bad this thing to Boba Fett showing up like so many little things like oh my god they did that oh my god they did this and it's a great great start to a season and it's got everyone pumped I've seen very little if any negative comments about it which is saying something on the internet so uh 
I cannot wait to get into it tonight and discuss it more because as a thing. But you know what? I'm going to throw it to you first because I've talked about this episode. What uh-huh. were your initial impressions? You've got a chance to watch a couple times. What uh-huh. did you kind of – your overall first impressions of the Marshall? I mean – it's very similar to to all of the thoughts that you were just describing. I mean, there was a lot of badassery in there. There was a lot of action in there. Uh, There, there was some predictable stuff, things that you could kind of anticipate and kind of predict. And I think that may be the one knock that I have seen on different message boards is that a lot of people feel that this was like the most predictable episode of the series so far. That's fair. I think it's fair. I mean, it was a pretty straightforward plot, but the execution of it, is what was impressive to me. While we kind of assumed that the villagers and the Tuscans were going to have to team up to defeat this big enemy, the way that they went about doing that was not without strife. There was still tension. There was still yelling. A lot of, like, combative nature to it to let you recognize how, how tense the situation between them was, how fragile the peace was. And... To, to have like this whole lone gunman in a wild west saloon type of scenario like you knew that there was going to be some type of of knockoff version of this town ain't big enough for the two of us <laughs> and like there basically was a sound bite that sounded just like that it's like i figure only one of us is walking out of here alive like same principle same thing and so while it did have a, a fairly predictable nature to it uh there were so many other things that helped make up for it like Ludwig von Göransson's musical score you you've got the the whole sequence where the speeder bike is coming in and there's basically just an acoustic guitar playing in the background yeah and I was like oh my gosh this is so brilliant and Favreau can't say enough good things about John Favreau. He wrote this episode. He directed this episode. You could obviously tell that his fingerprints were all over it. Like the the there's one sequence in particular where somebody's using a, a rocket launcher from one of the jetpacks, and it blows up a, a, a speeder that looks just like the type of explosion you got in the original Iron Man film. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Like just little nuances like that and little connections and tidbits to the rest of the Star Wars universe. They can be subtle, but they're just enough to be like, oh, oh. And I feel like um, what what's his name? Uh, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV like, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. That was ah! everyone the entire time. Look at that. Look at that. Literally, that was me with my dad. Like, that's the thing is Mandalorian has kind of become a family thing now where my parents will actually sit around and watch it week to week. Same, same. And so getting to experience these things with family members, with my parents more specifically, getting to enjoy it with them is another facet that I really, really enjoy. Because as I see things and as I recognize things, I get to talk about them and like express my nerdiness with someone else for a bit and it actually proves useful because if they have questions i'll be like okay xyz one two three yada 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 like i'm answering all the questions in the moment before the next big action sequence takes place and it's just like helping make the episode more enjoyable so like to me this is a big payoff for all of the nerddom that i have taken in over the last decade or so i'm finally getting to put it to good use and it feels very 
uh, cerebral and useful with episodes like this. Like, I, I guess the best example is the crate dragon. You know, right? Having, exactly. Having having a crate dragon in the official canon now. You know, it was in. Knights of the Old Republic. It was in several novels from the Legends canon, formerly EU. You know, it, it gets referenced, perhaps. Uh, ben Kenobi does the whale of the Crate Dragon in order to scare off the Tuscans in A New Hope. Like, there's there's little subtleties to it, but to have it like officially official on screen, doing battle with it, that kind of thing, like. That was so rewarding to me, and I didn't even play Knights of the Old Republic, and yet it <laughs> yeah. still it still felt rewarding to me as a Star Wars fan to have waited all of this time and finally getting to see an actual crate dragon on screen. Like that was so cool. Yeah, and I think like there's so much quote unquote fan service in this episode, like stuff that only fans will pick up on, but it's not necessarily. I really don't think it's too heavy-handed. I think Mandalorian has kind of, for the most part, you know, kind of towed the line and kind of got this perfect balance of, like, giving things that fans will pick up on, all of the Krat Dragon, all the stuff, and even Boa Fett's armor. Like, it's not explicitly stated that this is Boa Fett's armor. It's just a set of Mandalorian armor. Fans know it. Anybody that watched Return of the Jedi knows it. But if you're a new fan coming into this, you may not pick up on that. And, right. you know, but it still works as a story. It still works as a thing. And there, there's also things that went over my head, like the whole pearl from the Krayt Dragon. Like, I'm yeah. like, what is that? And I look online and people that obviously like huge fans of Knights of the Republic, like, oh, that, that's a thing in KOTOR. And I'm like, that's a super deep cut because it went right over right. my head. Right. So, like, right. that's cool. I, 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 I had a deep cut like that when I had to go onto the message boards to realize that the the faulty droid was the faulty droid from A New Hope. <laughs> yes, you got R5, Um, I think is R5 his name. In, in this episode, and unless you actually know the designation R5 from the Star Wars canon, it just looks like another crusty old droid that's having issues. And, you know, when when she says, come on, I haven't got all day, honestly, it's hard to find good help these days. Like, it's very dry and sarcastic and just humorous in nature. But then when you compound that with the fact that this was the droid with the bad motivator from A New Hope, like, yes, fans will get it. Fans will enjoy it. But if not, the dry humor in the moment is still enough for you to, like, get a laugh even if you don't get the Easter egg. Right, exactly. So, like, it, it works on the level of, like, you know, it's just a droid. Anybody that doesn't know Star Wars like we do, like, it's just a droid, just another droid. But if you do know that droid, like, it's like, oh, my God, and I've watched, like, plenty enough of reactions to, like, some people, you know, will get it. Some people are like, oh, you know, they'll just skip right over the scene. Some people are like, oh, my God, that's that droid. It's the, the bad motivator droid. So, like, it, they, I think they really got a good balance of, like, servicing the fans, for lack of a better term, giving them these references and Easter eggs, stuff like that, but not doing it so much that it's, you know, like one of the most egregious things of, of fan service that I can think of is Rogue One, where you have Jin and Cassian are walking down the street in Je Jedi, and then they bump into uh, Dr. Evazan and those guys. And, like, it's not a big scene but it's like they bump into it like you just watch yourself and like we're well, sorry and they, and they like the camera holds on them 
And it's a whole, like, these people are important. Like, look at this. Look, 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 look. And, like, Mm -hmm. anybody's going to go, if anybody hasn't, like, watched A New Hope, like, 10,000 times like we have, they're going to go, who are these dudes? Why is this important? And they don't show up in the rest of the movie. So, like, it doesn't make any sense. But, like, it's cool. But it also, you, you can't confuse the audience. You can't confuse the average person. And most people are average people. Us being super nerds are like in the bottom like five percent of people that watch this stuff. So you've got to actually make it interesting for normal people. And if it's good for us, then that's good. But you know, I think Mandalorian is like the things everywhere. Like I, people come in my work and they're like talking about, oh yeah, have you seen the new episode? Like people are pumped about this show. Everyone's into it. I've never really seen anything quite like it in this new era where. It's just, at a cultural level, it's so up there, and people are so into it, even people that don't know Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I want to I visit another deep cut for a moment, if I may. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I forget the name of the, the Cyclops. That, the Gore, Gore Koresh, is that his name? Gore Koresh is his name, I think. So when he is strung up by the light after the, the fight... And he he tells Mando that he knows of another of his kind on Tatooine. He says, "I swear it by the Gotra." I know where you're going with this. Do you remember the Gotra? I think so. I I had to look it up to confirm it, but I thought the name sounded familiar. And apparently, this is now a a canonized reference. But if 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 you're just watching Mandalorian and you hear somebody say, I swear by the Gotra, you probably just think it's their deity or something like right. that. Like that's that's probably the safest bet. But no, he's swearing this information by a radical group of droids that belong to the separatist army. The droid Gotra, yeah. They did not get shut down. And now they are like a militant organization that is fighting for droid equality rights. Yeah, I think it's in the book Last Shot, if I'm remembering correctly, because that book was released. It's like so it's like a half of it's like in the past and half of it's in like the present. It's got Han Mm. Solo and Lando. And they don't – it's actually before Solo, so they don't, like, reference, like, what happened to L3. But, like, there's a bunch of L3 bots that show up, and it's all kind of centered around, like, people – they're trying to reactivate something to cause, like, a terrorist attack or whatever like that. But, like, it's – I think the droid Gotra, like, shows up in there, and it might be even be in the Solo – there's another Solo book that – there's, there, there's a lot there. of there's a lot of droid right stuff with the Solo tie-in material, obviously being what that movie is. So, like – um, I love that reference, and I'm glad somebody else caught that. Yeah, I mean, again, it's super subtle, and if you're just a, a, a regular fan, then you're not going to you know, get the whole swear by the Gaultra thing. But apparently they've got enough you know, swing and influence in that sector that when you're making promises, when you're strung up by your feet, you're swearing things by the droid Gotra, which is such a weird thing for me to think about. But like that, again, is is a credit to the writing and to the, the lore and the world building that they're doing in this show. I dare say it's some of the deepest cuts and some of the best live action world building we've gotten 
in the last decade or so. I, I would I would be willing to agree with you there. I think it helps that I think both Filoni I think there's just something about that Filoni Favreau partnership that just makes it so good because I think Favreau I don't think is someone that is like super in tune he knows every bit of detail but he's a fan he's like a nerd and he loves this stuff and he tries to do all this stuff and Filoni is beside him he does know everything (laughs) like he's worked with Lucas so like I think they they, that little team up has just become this thing I think it's the secret sauce of Mando that it makes it so that it's making it it's, it's giving it it's it's taking all this fan stuff and putting it through the lens of someone who's just a kind of a casual fan and making it so that you know you've got you know random people that may have never seen Star Wars before watching this and you've got yeah. hardcore fans watching it and they're both enjoying it for different reasons yeah i think i think that is like the the delicate balance that exists with this show is that you could drop somebody into the mandalorian like you said, without having seen anything else from Star Wars. And you get enough action and you get enough intrigue and character development and all that stuff. You get enough of that that maybe you don't need to know who the Death Watch is. Maybe you don't need to know who the Jedi are. That Maybe you don't need to understand what the droid Gautra is. Maybe... You don't need to know that the guy who voiced Starkiller and Darth Maul made a cameo appearance in this episode. Like, <laughs> maybe you don't need to know those things, but if you did know them, it just makes it even more enjoyable. Right, right. It's it's these things in, like, you know, Anakin's pod racer, <laughs> like Cobb Vanth, you know— Flying his what appears to be Anakin's pod racer is at least some kind of pod racer, and it's, like it's, it's a, rem, a remnant of some pod racer. There's there's a lot of debate on whether that's actually Anakin's or not because I mean, come on, it's a pod racing planet for crying out loud. Right. There's right. there's bound to be repurposed pods and pod racers that get you know recycled and reused all the time. Right. So I mean, either way. That's a really cool, like, it's a cool idea. It makes for a cool, like, vehicle, and it's a cool oh, reference yeah, for sure. anybody that's that's not. And then you have freaking Cobb Vanth, who had you have – I'm guessing you haven't read the Aftermath books. You know, I never heard good enough <laughs> reviews from them for them to warrant my time. You're – look, I think I think they got an undue bad rap. Just, just my personal opinion. I think they got an undue bad rap in the sense that I think they were genuinely good books. I enjoyed them. I think the first book was not nearly as strong and was also coming off of like it was meant to be like, oh, this is the new Thrawn trilogy. This is the new thing. It wasn't that at all. It was about you know other random characters and you know it was kind of this after the war thing and leading up to the Battle of Jakku. It's a good book, and like I have affinity for those characters now because there's a recent book called uh, Rebel – uh, Resistance Reborn, and actually revisits a lot of those characters. And like, I really enjoyed that book because I enjoyed the Aftermath trilogy, and it was like a continuation of that story. It was really good. But it isn't until like the second and third book that it really started to get good because Han Solo shows up, and there's this whole thing. And like, Aftermath Life Dead, which is the second one, like top five Star Wars novels for me of all time. Like, it's incredible. Wow. And I I will put that up against any of them. And there's a wait, lot of wait, good wait, stuff. Wow. While we're, while we're on that, while we're on that, what are your top five novels? 
Ooh, see, that's that's a that's a hard one, and we're, we'll probably have to do like an official episode. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You're gonna have to come up with it by the end of the episode. <laughs> well, I'm gonna give it to you right now if I can. Um, I know uh, aftermath life debt is one of them. We're talking. Um, what's the? I think it's Lords of the Sith. Lords of the Sith is a novel where it's got Chems and Dula against Sidious and Vader. It's like there's certain books that like I will read and it's like okay, it kind of dips in the middle or whatever. That book is like nonstop, like incredible, like it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend that one. Um, there's oh, damn. See, I'm have to. Look, I'm just gonna have to Google Star Wars books and. You, you you got me going here. This is your fault. This is all your fault. <laughs> um, I'm gonna look up Star Wars. Lords of the I, I mean, I'll 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 put I'll put um any of the oh, any of the, the the yeah. Thrawn trilogy up there. I really enjoy. I just recently got through all those for the first mm. time. Star Wars canon books. What do we got here? We got. We're Lord. just doing canon. Oh well, that narrows the field. Well, I, I just that's that's what I've been mostly been immersed in lately. Um, but Lords of the Sith, I would put as up there as one of my number one, number two. Um, Aftermath, Life Debt. Uh, I'll put M- Heir to the Empire at number three. Um, Come on, give me something else. Okay, uh, from a certain point of view, number four, that's that. That is okay, but that's a collection of short stories. That's it's like an still a book. Piece. It's still between two big. It's still a bunch of pages in between two things. Are they ever going to do a certain point of view from like the Phantom Menace or something like that? Because I really want more Qui Gon. I feel like they're working their way. It's going to take a while because they got Empire Strikes Back coming out this year. Oh, I thought it already came out. It's soon to be. Soon to be. What was it I was reading then? Was it was it just the excerpts that I was reading? Yeah, I think it hasn't quite, because I would I think, have read it by posted, now. I think, posted, I think they posted like excerpts on Twitter or something, and I read them, and I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. Um, and as for, I don't know, if, uh, for number, number number four or number five, I'll put in a, a Legends book. Darth Plagueis is wonderful. I love that book. The training of Palpatine. Yeah, yep. that that one surprised me. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be boring." Like, no, that one that one had me, had me really uh, in it. It was so. it was it was intriguing to think about, you know, a, a a Sith Lord in training, also training another Sith Lord behind his master's back. Right. Right. Like, like not only was he trying to learn as much as he could from Plagueis, but he was also scheming to become the Emperor at this time. Yeah. Oh, Lost Stars. Lost Stars is like top two or three for me. Lost Stars is incredible. You're reminding me of all these great books I'm about to go read again. I think this is just going to be like a another episode where we have to do like top ten Star Wars books, and we pick like five from the new canon and like five from the Legends canon and just do a top ten episode yeah. or something. And then we'll do top five worst Star Wars books, and I will put Queen Shadow at number one. Oh, that book. Oh. Ugh. Ugh. Anything, anything from the 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 the, the Joiner Queen trilogy or duology, the standalone book about the Millennium Falcon. That <laughs> was terrible. 
Um, shoot, what was the other one that I wasn't a fan of? I I really wasn't a fan of the courtship of Princess Leia. I, yeah, I've heard too many good I things about really, that. I was really not a fan of, um, what was it? The Truce of Bakura was kind of so-so. Um, what is the one about the border dispute on Anseon? Ooh, that's um. You had to ask. I can't remember. <laughs> I I forgot what it was, but it was it wasn't uh, approaching storm. Ah, oh, okay. The approaching storm. Wow, I actually that was I got I got that one booted up pretty quickly. It was it was just it was slow, man. It was slow, and it really didn't do anything for anybody's character, and like. Luminara was just flat and basically a bitch the whole book. <laughs> Why are you here? Why is this a thing? Like it was the very mundane tasks of the Jedi right before crap hits the fan, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. One, of the, one of the one of the last normal missions of the Jedi before the Clone Wars breaks out. And I just liked Clone Wars Luminara a lot more than I liked approaching Storm Luminara. Yeah. That's I feel you there. And another one, um, Thrawn. Any of the new Thrawn books just have not grabbed me at all. Really? That's a shame because I just – I like Thrawn as a character. And I do too. I know people like them. I like – you know, you guys love them all you want. I just – I Thrawn as a character in the books outside of the Thrawn trilogy, just not – I'm not a fan. I would recommend Outbound Flight then. Yeah, I need to – I need to get that one. if if you if you're interested in something well written Thrawn in nature that isn't part of the Thrawn trilogy, then my best recommendation would be Outbound Flight because it's still written by Zahn. It still has to do with Thrawn's character, but it's more like an origin story. And uh, in in the final battle, he actually learns how to hijack a Trade Federation battleship. Oh wow! Like he 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 straight up hijacks a Nemoidian ship and uses it against itself. Wow, that's is, cool. It's pretty it's pretty badass. And speaking of badass, we've got a badass in Mando who did some pretty badass things in this episode. Okay, go. So going back to this episode, <laughs> going we, back to the partial, which is what we were supposed to be talking about so all this. this time. I'm telling you guys, it all connects. It all connects. So going back to Cobb Vanth. Now, Cobb Vanth, for those who don't know, is a character that was introduced not in the actual book, but in an interlude in the first Aftermath trilogy book. And so in the Aftermath books, you'll have, like, the main story with the main characters, and then it'll stop every few chapters and, like, give you, like, a slice of life in, like, here's what's going on on Tatooine. Here's what's going on in Naboo. Like, the Naboo interlude is, like, it's all about Jar Jar and showing, like, the fact that he's, like like remorseful oh. for like you know putting in power like the worst person ever <laughs> oh that's not the one where he's a clown yes exactly but he's in a clown he's like in a park and he's like well this is saying that i i i helped palpatine get to power <laughs> it's not why why is that a thing <laughs> there's some odd choices i will admit who, who read that and said yep publish that <laughs> It'll it's, make millions. So in in this 
in these interludes, one of them is set on Tatooine. It's focused on Malakili, who is the Rancor Keeper from Return of the Jedi. And he is adrift after Jabba has died, and he's lost his pet Rancor. And this guy named Com Vanth picks him up and takes him to Mos Pelgo, a.k.a. Freetown. And ends up there, and, you know, it, it kind of ends with... Malakili kind of getting a fresh start. He's given a new baby Rancor. And it's like, oh, it's this up and up thing. And and it describes this guy named Cobb Vanth, who is this guy who they never explicitly say it's Boba Fett's armor, but they say it's this set of Mandalorian armor that he scavenged and that it's all pocked and it's got acid stains and all that kind of stuff. And this guy's wearing it now. And it's the implication that, okay, Boba Fett's dead. This guy has the armor and he's this new sheriff in town. Um, so that's there, and you think, oh, that's never going to be picked up on in anything. It's just a random thing that Chuck Wendig came up with. So that's a book. It's in the book, if you can go back and read it. And then we start getting the rumors about this, and the fact that, oh, by the way, Timothy Oliphant is playing Cobb Vanth, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I don't even believe this. And then you actually watch the episode, and it's literally him. And as someone who read the book, it's insane to see that this actually happened. But it also... From just a random person perspective, it works too. <laughs> this guy just showing up, Mandalorian army, you think, oh, maybe it's Boba Fett. No, it's not Boba Fett. Like, it's... And Timothy Olivant is... He's brilliant. That guy is amazing. He did such a job that I I didn't even know that I needed this performance in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it's one of those things where... You, you really don't know who to expect. You're not sure if you're going to be expecting Boba Fett. You're not really sure if you're going to be expecting somebody else or is this an alter ego or, you know, what have you. But, like, by the end of the episode when he says, I hope our paths cross again, I'm like, bitch, you better be in the next episode. <laughs> oh, like, you, you can't you can't pull a, a, a Cara Dune and be gone for, like, three or four episodes and then show up to help in the season finale. Like, you've got to become a regular now. Because his his swagger, his charisma, his short fuse, his his leadership, his his accuracy, the fact that he is so well practiced with the jetpack that he was actually keeping up with a Mandalorian during that battle against the crate dragon. Right. Like like he knows his way around that armor. And I feel like there's going to come a moment later on in the season where, you know, Mando is going to need his help. And Cobb Vanth is actually going to have to don the armor in order to help him save the day. That's the, like, I think that's one of my only criticisms of this episode. It's like, it it sets it up, and Cobb Vanth is such an endearing character. And, like, he does have an arc, but, like, he's still, like, he's this guy that has his armor. Boba Fett, as much as I love him, he was a bad guy. He did some bad things. Cobb Vanth's actually, like, redeeming the armor. He deserves it. And, you know, Mando takes the armor back because that's what he's supposed to do, whatever. But, like, this guy's actually doing good. He's, you know, helping out, and maybe he doesn't need the armor anymore, but, like, still, he's a good guy, and he's even a better guy, and, like, he's willing to give up the armor. Like, this, such this... You expect him to be, like, an a-hole for, like, you know, wanting to, you know, fight Mando at the beginning of the episode, but then he shows up, and you're like, yeah, I, I hope your paths cross again, too. Like, I want to see more of this guy. So yep. I hope he becomes a regular. I hope he comes back. I hope they bring Timothy Oliphant back and uh, you know, do something with him, you know, because, you know, and obviously, like, 
what is what's her name? Amy Sedaris's character, like she's shown up second time now. So like, yeah. obviously Mando is is going back to Tatooine multiple times. So like, do it. I'm 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 so happy to see her back again. My dad, <laughs> he's he's latched onto Amy Sedaris a bit because he grew up on the TV show Cheers, and oh my gosh. he's. He swears up and down that this little woman has the exact same persona and character of a space Carla, basically. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, you know what? You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't I, I cannot argue that one tiny bit. But what's funny is I I know her as like this really confused ditzy blonde from the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and to see her as somebody who is like holding her own and has a lot of character and matching wits with somebody like Mando like this is this is such a great character for her and I'm I'm so glad that they brought her back and and did enough in that sequence there to let you know that the Mandalorian that you saw on Tatooine a season ago is not the same Mandalorian that you've got on Tatooine this season. Like, yes, you're rehashing old material because you're back on a planet you just visited, basically. But even down to the small nuance of him allowing the pit droids to work on the crest shows that he has experienced character development from the previous trip to this trip. That, that, I love it. Character development is is the best when you can like see a trajectory and like when that character comes back and is basically faced like this is a very small example but like you know still the droids like he hates them like he shoots at them the first time they get off the ship in the, that episode and you come back he's like no no it's fine like like it may be small but like still it shows like you're putting him in the same situation, but he's a completely different guy. He's a completely different, you know, that experience at the end of the episode of of, of episode, in the, basically the previous episode, chapter eight, changed him. You know, now he's a different guy. So that's, I think, is wonderful use of character development. It's a wonderful use of just his overall arc in, you know, changing and being, you know, someone who now has respect for droids and is not a, a droid racist <laughs> Right, right. A droidist? Is that, he, is that what we called he, him? He for? would. Uh, he, he's not. Uh, he's cool with the droid Gatra. Let's put it that way. He, he's he's in favor of droid rights. Uh, probably getting closer to that, anyway. <laughs> Better than that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I love that whole thing and Cobb Vanth. Like, as like, what were your impressions of Cobb Vanth? You know, as someone who came at this, he was a new character to you. Yeah, he, he 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 was completely new, and honestly, the first time I watched it, I didn't even recognize that he had, like, given his name away. Like, I, I had the closed captions on, because I leave the captions on, because I'm, I'm stupid, and I'm a little hard of hearing at times, and I, I want to make sure that I'm understanding everything. And, like, when he first walks into the bar, it, it'll, because they're under the helmets, so you don't know who's talking, like, you can't read lips or anything. And so they'll put the name and then a colon and then the quotation of whatever it is they're saying. So you know whether it's the Mandalorian who's talking or somebody else under a different helmet that's talking. And like 
as soon as he shows up in the saloon and like his first line pops up, it shows the name Cobb Vanth. Like it, it gives it away before he even announces his name. Oh, wow. So yeah, before, before he even says what his name is, because he's got the helmet on it, it shows his name in the quote in the closed captioning. Interesting. And so it, it took me a while to register that he even said who he was because according to the closed captioning, we're just supposed to know, hey, this is Cobb Vance, whoever that is. Like, it, it could have said Marshall, it could have said Stranger, it could have said anything. But no, it, like, gives his name away right off the bat. And so I was like, okay, well, this isn't Boba, unless this is some sort of alter ego or whatever. And I just tried to roll with it. You know, I, I, I just tried to embrace it for what it was instead of hoping that he would be somebody who wasn't. And just kind of rolled with it. And as soon as he took the helmet off for the drink, I was like, oh, he's no Mandalorian. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, can 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 I be kind of weird and say that I was more excited by the Weequay barkeeper cameo than I was by Timothy Oliphant showing up? Really? Like, I, I this is so weird of me, and, and maybe this will be a hot take, but I... Okay, okay no, 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 don't feel bad fellow weirdo here no judgment no judgment well i might get judgment from other people though like there might be somebody that like comments on this twitter thread or whatever and, oh like, screw those guys but i i was just very very into seeing the repetition of the star wars lore showing up in little subtle ways I really could not care less about who was under the helmet because I had never seen anything Timothy Oliphant had done before up to this point. Uh, okay. I, I, I had no knowledge of his previous acting experience. My entire knowledge of Timothy Oliphant is based on this one 54-minute episode of TV. That's, that's all I know him from. And so I, I guess I wasn't anticipating much or getting excited about much or trying to hope for very much from him because I didn't really have much to go off of. And my, my whole thing that I was really paying attention to in this episode was trying to recognize other creatures and characters and species and stuff like that. Like, like seeing the two Gamorreans fighting in the ring at the beginning of the episode. I, I think I enjoyed that more than Cobb Vance's introduction seeing um the the weekway barkeeper i was like it's a weekway all right it's like hondo's cousin <laughs> or something like i got i got excited over that and then i got excited over um what was it i think they're called the massifs Ma i think mastiffs yeah i got excited too yeah I got excited seeing massifs more than i got excited about seeing cobb banth because again didn't know much about him, didn't have many expectations, but it was such a cool callback to, you know, having a better understanding why Jabba chose Gamorreans as his personal guards. You get to see some of their fighting in person. Like you get to you get a firsthand look at what they're capable of in hand to hand combat in this episode. You get a reminder that Tuscans have pets. Yeah. And they're 
they're pretty badass looking and even though the only other time you saw them was when they were getting slaughtered by Anakin in Attack of the Clones, there's a continuity there that that wasn't just one thing that one tribe did. This is something that all Tuscans do. They have massifs. And, you know, seeing Weequays in run-down, you know, overrun types of towns and villages just seems natural because we see one on Jabba's sail barge. We've seen the Weequay pirates from Hondo's gang in the Clone Wars. So to see one as a barkeep in Mos Pelgo made perfect sense. And I, I think I may have enjoyed those more than I enjoyed anything Timothy Oliphant did. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, ton of charisma, ton of great moments. But he's just like one piece of a much bigger puzzle that I was consuming. Well, it kept like being, like I said, mind blown. Like for me, like it kept rolling with like, you know... Cobb Vanth shows up, and then, like, you, you have the Mastiffs, and, like, I was in disbelief. I'm like, those things from Taka Clones! Like, I didn't even know what the names of them were, but, like, mm-hmm. I was yep. totally blown away that they got that. And then it keeps yep. going, and you got the Tuscans, and you go to their camp, and it looks exactly like it did in Attack of the Clones. Like, Attack it's, of the Clones. It's, it's so fantastic that the continuity and the fact that they paid close attention to the stuff. Stuff they didn't have to pay attention to they didn't have to include the mastiffs but they did and it's great and they look great and i don't even know how they oh, did them yeah. like this is a show that's still it's a tv show but it looks like a movie like it's it's insane yep. um and you have the, the pod racer engine to the whole crate dragon thing and you know the, the these little shout outs about you know oh i've never heard of a you know a, a, a abandoned sarlacc pit and it's like yeah if you eat the Sarlacc, it's like, what? Right. Right? It, like, oh my gosh. In Return of the Jedi, you thought that the Sarlacc was the biggest, baddest thing that you could possibly think of. And then you realize, oh, there's something else out there that's even worse than the Sarlacc. And you're like, oh, crap. I'm going to use a really bad example here, but it's like Jurassic Park 3. It's like, you know, oh, you thought the T-Rex was the big bad uh, dinosaur, and then the Spinosaurus comes in, like, easily kills him. And I think people are still pissed off about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People are not happy about that. <laughs> but, I mean, I loved our discussion of Camp Cretaceous that intimated that, you know, if things go the way that they could, we might end up seeing the Spino in Camp Cretaceous. And I would actually be on board with that. I yeah. think I think an I think an animated spino is the perfect setting for it because you can have that intimidation without having to use stupid cheap puppetry. Right. Yeah, it, like if like the dinosaurs are the best part of Camp Cretaceous because like it's like they're real real animated, they look really good, like it's it's yeah. great. Yeah, and the crate dragon looked pretty damn great in this one too. Like some of the, I'm getting some Jurassic some, Park vibes from that crate dragon. Some, I got some Jurassic Park vibes. I got some Game of Thrones vibes. I got some Jaws vibes. Yeah, I got, I got Tremors. some Zillow, I got some Zillow Beast vibes from that thing. Like if we're if we're gonna toss it back, let's be honest. Some of the some of the roars and some of the sweeping neck motions seem very reminiscent of the Zillow Beast from the Clone Wars. And, I mean, you got Filoni has his fingerprints all over this. Uh-huh. Like, it only makes sense that it'll be 
like the Zilla Beast. I think like even the design of it, like you have kind of the head and then it kind of shrinks down to a, a smaller body in the back. The head of it looks a lot like the Zilla Beast if you compare it. Well, it looks a lot like Drogon from Game of Thrones, too. Like, yeah, there, I there think there's was definitely particular... some, like, actual, not actual, because dragons aren't real, but, like, some actual, like, <laughs> dragon influence on the design. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a crate dragon. It's got to have some, like, scaly, triangular-shaped head nature to it. But early shots, like, like when when the crate comes out and eats the Tuscan instead of eating the Bantha, like, that... That shot, it, first of all, it made me laugh because I was like, yeah, that's kind of how I would be if somebody woke me up and I was like a hundred times bigger than you. I'd be like, bitch, you woke me up. This is your punishment. But um, that particular shot, it was very snout oriented and it reminded me of of Jaws, of a great white shark almost. And so yeah. you, you can you – can and also like the way that it would – move so effortlessly through the sand made it almost seem like it was swimming through the sand. So I think some of those efforts are very um, shark-like in nature. But I, I also really like how they were talking about how the Tuscans would track its eating cycles and try and prepare sacrifices for it. There are certain reptilian predators here on planet Earth that really only eat every four to six weeks. They have one yeah. big they have one big meal and then they are good for like a month or almost two months. And then they have another big meal again. And so it's it's almost like scientifically accurate in this context of science fiction that somebody would be able to track a reptilian's eating cycle and try and offer sacrifices to it in order to appease it and keep it from eating more. Like, as long as you're able to time it right and you feed it every four to six weeks, then it just eats that and it leaves you alone. Scientifically, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. I, I love that idea and I love this... I mean, taking just in just the Tuscans themselves into consideration here, like, I love the character development they've gotten through both of these seasons in regards yes. to like you know in the movies they're very much they're almost they're basically creatures at that point you know they attack luke you they're know they're almost like savages yeah yeah exactly they're they're portrayed in the same way the indians were portrayed in like old school movies like they're they're very inhuman they're not you're not they're not there's not really good representation in there and you know they're just you know, space aliens, you know, who cares? But, like, they are a metaphor for, like, Native Americans. Like, they're natives to this planet. They probably, you know, yep. it's this whole thing. And so it's it's important to kind of, like, explore that. And the movies, you know, didn't do that very well. You know, you even have Attack of the Clones, and Anakin kills all of them. And then like Padme... animals. And I slaughtered them like animals. And then Padme's like, it's, it's okay to be angry. To be angry is to be human. No, you freaking committed genocide, Anakin. You big mm -hmm. asshole. Um, well, okay, that's mm, that's a whole other story because I think Padme's got daddy issues and she like ate all of that up from Anakin because she's got daddy issues. And look, she thought, well, if I can't fix my dad, then maybe I can fix him. Like, oh, they are look, so If there's toxic. anything to be taken away from Attack of the Clones, and there's many things to be taken away, 
is that both Anakin, people put it on Anakin, but like both Anakin and Padme have serious issues. They are messed up in the head, all right? Yep. Anakin does a lot yep. of crazy stuff, and Padme's like, oh, it's okay. No big deal. Genocide, just because you lost your mom, no big deal. Like, it's just, we're not even going to get into that right now. We'll, we'll talk about that later. How does she go from that to not being okay with him killing a few kids at the Jedi Temple? It's like a big surprise to her in the next movie. He's like, oh, you killed kids? Like, I don't know you anymore. Like, yes, you do. This is no surprise. He said he killed women and children on Tatooine. How do you not recognize that he's willing to kill women and children for the people he loves? Like, you either need to be flattered and okay with it, or you need to be appalled and against it. And you're, like, completely flip-flopping from one movie to the next. I mean, that's the whole trajectory of Anakin is that he starts out just out of anger killing people, like murdering hundreds of people. And then he goes to the point where he's given the choice of, oh, murder all these people and you, the people you love, get to be safe. Like, of course he's going to do it. Like, 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 like Palpatine is completely grooming Anakin for this. To the point where he's like, uh, yeah, the only way that you don't end up with a repeat situation of your mother and the sand people is if you do what I say. Exactly, exactly. But the the Tuscans are set up like they're not human. Like they're just these savages who just kidnap and kill people. You know, they're not that. And Mando... That is, that is one thing that I wish we could get cleared up is if they are like capable of their own sign language and their own language, their own culture. What the hell did Shmi do to them to warrant the abuse that she took in Attack of the Clones? Well, I mean, there is that theory, and I think even some official Star Wars material has backed this up, that Dooku and maybe Palpatine, you know, you know, in, in turn, got the Tuscans to do that. Like, 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 like a setup, right? I mean, and if they are like Mando sets it up that they are intelligent, they have their own language. Who's to say that Dooku didn't go to them or, or somebody else go like, yeah, okay, go kidnap this woman and torture her so that Anakin, like, they do the same thing in Empire. Like the whole reason Luke goes to goes to Cloud City is because he feels his 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 friends in in danger and in pain. They do the same thing. Thing. Palpatine knows all this, like, you know, it's, I think it totally makes sense, and it gives the Tuscans more credit, you know, in regards to, like, them actually just doing a job as opposed to just doing something because it's fun, I guess. Well, everybody has their price, I suppose. Right, but Mando, going back to Mando, this this show sets it up that they have their own language, that they're intelligent people, that they can be reasoned with. And if you actually give them a shot, and you know their whole they, the fact that they know so much about the land, like they like Mando even says, like they know more about the Craig Dragon than any of us. Like they've been studying this thing for thousands of years. Like they study its 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 digestive system, and like how it does, and like give it sacrifices so that it'll leave them alone. Like does all this stuff, and you know their help is you know great in the end they actually make sure that this thing is taken out um and just the whole reverse engineering of this whole thing 
and Mando having a relationship with them and talking with them and, and bringing these people together so that, you know, in the future, there's not going to be, you know, maybe Tuscans won't be these weird native people. They'll be integrated into the population. They'll be just be another tribe of people on this planet instead of enemies. Yeah, that would That would be an interesting thing to see, especially since this has like a couple of terms and conditions established with it. Like as long as you don't provoke the first attack, then they promise never to raid the village again. Like I feel like it's a very fragile piece, but it has a lot of promise to it. And I wonder, you know, based on the success that they had from this attack on the crate dragon, just how successful is that piece going to be? How long is it going to last? And you know, is Cobb Vanth going to regret giving up that armor? Because, you know, he, he's got the biggest threats taken care of now with the Tuscans and the Crate Dragons. But, you know, how long could that piece actually last? How long is it going to be before he ends up needing to find some way to maintain law and order in his town again? Well, right. And, and you have him with the armor. And, you know, he says that it gives him an advantage. You know, obviously having Beskar, that's, that's a pretty good advantage against the people. He's able to take out the other, you know, minor security guard guys pretty easily. Um, and this episode sets up like he doesn't need the armor anymore because he he's made peace with the Tuscans, Tuscans and the dragon is gone. But that's right. not to say that something else won't happen. And maybe maybe we'll get a new episode right. where, like, you know— he contacts Mando and says, hey, we got another situation here. You need to come back and help us because, you know, I can't do this alone. And that would be an interesting thing. Well, that, that, yeah, that's kind of what I'm what I was getting at is like if he doesn't have the armor anymore, you know, it, it could potentially make him vulnerable and could warrant the need for help again. I highly doubt and this is, this is I guess this is more my hopes than my opinions, but I'm hoping that there isn't a return trip to Tatooine this season. Cause that would make for like three trips in 10 episodes or something like that. I don't think the show needs to be spending that much time on one planet. Here's the thing. I hope, I hope if we go back to Tatooine, it's for the sake, it's just like, uh, you know, episode chapter seven where Mando is given the option. He, he He's told by grief Karga, Hey, you know, uh, the, the client is back on Navarro, and you come back. We'll 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 take him out together, and we'll do this. And he immediately goes back to Sorgan and picks up Cara Dune. I think something like that, where he like he just goes briefly back to Tatooine and goes like, "Hey, get in, loser. We're going we're going Moff Gideon hunting or something like that." And he brings in <laughs> he brings in a uh, a uh, Cobb Vanth to go like fight Moff Gideon at the end of the season or something. That could be. I, I could see something like that. The more rogues and, and badasses he meets, the more it feels like he's kind of trying to assemble his own Outer Rim Avengers, more or less. Right. I feel like that could be a, something to, like, a, a string to pull on in, in the future is, like, he's got all these allies in different places. He always goes, ends up in an area that's kind of down on their luck, and he helps them get back on their feet, and, you know, he makes a friend. Like, and, like, in season one, the microcosm, that was, like, you know, he meets Cara Dune, they part ways, then she comes back, and they're, like, friends, and they go, and they go do what they do at the end of the season. Um, and he obviously got Car- Grief Karg on all these people, like, and with Queel, who's no longer with us, rest in peace, like, he's, I think, 
going back on that and like you know I could definitely see even at the end of this, this season or maybe next season um Cobb Vanth comes back as kind of a a regular character that like you know shows back up and maybe maybe here's here's I'm going to throw a theory on you really quick what if uh what if so we've learned through this series that you don't have to be born a Mandalorian to be a Mandalorian. Din Djarin himself was a foundling, someone who just ended up there. He was rescued by the Mandalorians, became, took the oath, took the creed, became a Mandalorian. What if right. at the end of the season he either gives Cobb Vanth back his armor, the Boba Fett armor, because he's like, okay, you're worthy of this armor, and you're a fi- you're like an unofficial Mandalorian now. Or he gives him a brand new set of armor and says, you're a Mando now, and you take the creed. I I could see it, but I also could see where he just kind of gives it to him as a loner type of situation, where he's like, I need your help. You'll need this, but don't get too attached to it. Right. That kind of. Okay, so this this. That- this ties in with another part of this episode. This ties in with a theory that I have, is that people have been talking about Boba Fett. He shows up at the end of this episode, or at least appears to show up at the end of this episode. And people have asked the question, well, why has Boba Fett not gone after the armor himself? He's been on Tatooine for a while, obviously. He survived the Sarlacc pit. Cobb Vance been out there. Mando found him, took the armor back. Why has he not gone after Cobb Vanth and gotten the armor back? I think it's because he doesn't want the armor anymore, for whatever reason. So that's my thinking in, like, maybe it gets back to Cobb Vanth because Boba Fett's like, nah, I'm past that, I don't need the armor anymore. Um, Or, you know, it just, I don't know, maybe there's a confrontation coming up where, you know, Cobb Vanth needs to come back in the fixture because Boba Fett's being an antagonist. I don't know. Well, what's interesting is, is Boba was kind of on a dune that wasn't directly overlooking the fight with the crate dragon. Right. So he, he wasn't like, like looking straight on this particular encounter. He just happened to be in the vicinity when, when Mando's uh, speeder bike is crossing by. So I, I think it's possible that he still doesn't know where it is. Or he does, and he's just worried about something bigger than his armor. Because, I mean, it's not every day that you see a Mandalorian on Tatooine, let's be honest. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like he he may think that he's just got bigger fish to fry, possibly. Uh, bigger bigger concerns to worry about. So, I I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I feel like it'll just be like, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of speculating now. Yeah, and, but another theory that our, our friend Celine on on uh, Radio Razorcrest said that she she thinks that Boba Fett does want the armor back for sentimental reasons because that was his father's armor, and that at the very least it holds a sentimental value to him, and he would want it back because of that. And I agree with that. I think that makes sense. But there is still the question of like, well, why hasn't he gotten it back? You know, what's going on there? Um, you know, I, I I'm I'm interested to see like how Boba Fett figures into this because now that Mando has his armor, like what what does this mean for the future of the show? 
how Boba Fett's going to actually come back into this. Clearly, they're setting him up to be. Like, what's what's going on here? Dude, I was just excited to see that figure turn around and we see Tim Morrison's face. It's just so good to see him and actually, like, playing that character for the first time ever in live action. He's played Jango Fett. And he's voiced Boba Fett in video games and stuff, but he's never actually been yep. Boba Fett in the flesh. Okay, I, I gotta I gotta also bring up the message boards one more time. Okay. By all means, by all means. There, there's some people out there that are speculating, like, what if it's not Boba Fett? What <laughs> if he's a clone? A clone well, of a like, clone. <laughs> No, just like a member of the clone army. I mean, there is a billion of them out there, so it's not out of the realm of possibilities, I guess. Uh, there's some people that are like, what if it's a clean-shaven Rex? And I'm like, <laughs> probably not. Yeah, I don't know about that. But, I mean, somebody's got to introduce us to Ahsoka, right? Why not Rex? I mean, I I'm of the opinion that Rex might show up, because... When you get Tim Morrison in this show, that's a package deal. You could ha- you could yeah, have Boba be. Fett, you could have Rex, you could have Cody, you could have literally any clone show up in there because you've got that actor who's played all of them. Like it could work. The guy that's the temp- yeah, that that's the nice thing about about uh, having having the clone templates like that is it could be like yeah this is this is the right designation but they're just like 30 40 years older now yeah and so, so i i like that idea i i i i would i think the implication in this episode is that it's boba fett and i think you uh-huh. don't need to fake that out you it needs to be boba fett you don't need to come up and say oh well i'm actually captain rex like nah you need to Stay with stay with the program here. Don't fake people out because you've you've shown his armor. Don't trick people into thinking it's Boba Fett when it's not. Actually deliver on that because that that could piss people off. Well, and here's the other thing too. We were mentioning earlier about how accessible this show is to the common viewer. If it was somebody like Rex, all of a sudden you're isolating a very large percentage of your viewership. Because they'll have no idea who Rex is or what the purpose is. Right. You need if you do Rex, you need to do it in a way that introduces him. I think this teasing, you know, with Boba Fett, like people are gonna go, Oh, oh who's this? And maybe they'll look it up online or maybe they'll find out later. But it still ties in with the plot of this is Boba Fett's armor. You recognize that if you've seen the movies. This is Boba Fett coming in and oh I recognize that guy. It looks like looks like Django Fett. What if that's Boba Fett? Like the people that don't know the movies can make the connections. They're not gonna make the connection that it's Captain Rex. They're just not gonna go that far. Whereas people like us who are Uber nerds definitely will. I think you make some points, bud. I think, I think we're making a lot some... of good points here. I think we are, and I, I think we need to Hit the pause button before we make too many good points all in one. We'll just blow people's minds here. if we're not careful. Right? We got to pace ourselves just a little bit here. So we're going to say hi to our patrons real quick. We're going to hear from some of our, our friends and our partners. And uh, we'll be back to continue talking about Chapter 9, The Marshal, in just a moment. Don't go away. This is IPC. 
Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? are back here getting ready to finish up our discussion of chapter 9 the marshal from the mandalorian here on the ipc podcast a big thank you to our financial contributors like joey mays ryan h 1152 rachel perry carrie fleming and dan grievous we've gotten word that uh podbean has been giving us some issues as far as financial contributions go, but we recognize that there are people making conscious efforts to uh, do everything they can to be contributing to the program, so we want to acknowledge that and appreciate that while we work out whatever logistical details may be involved there. So regardless of how much you're contributing or how often you're contributing, we appreciate that you are helping in any way you can to keep the lights on. And if you're interested in becoming a patron of the program, just go check us out at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod like podcast, bean like green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a uh, link to our patron section there. It also can show you access to our entire library. Every episode we've ever done is available there. Links to our social media is available there. You can find all kinds of cool stuff there. So just be sure to go and check us out there. And if you're interested in uh, some regular Mando content, as we mentioned, the Radio Razor Crest is going to be going on on a pretty regular basis. And you can find those recent episodes as well as recent episodes of this podcast over at StarWarsUnderworld.com. Excellent. Gosh, I need to work on being able to say all that in one breath and not going out of breath. Or maybe we should just record that once, <laughs> and then we'll play it on the show every and week. And then we just play that, and then go right back in. See, that would be more streamlined. That would actually make sense. 
That way I'm not having to do it every single time. Yeah, because when you're away, I don't like doing it (laughs) either. (laughs) Oh, hey, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we just take that clip and just do that and then come back in for the discussion. Maybe we'll hire hire like a James Arnold Taylor to like do a a version of it and then – because cameos can last like a minute, right? And you can provide the scripts that they say? Pretty much, I think. That might be worth looking into. Like, I wonder, like, who's the most high-profile person we could get to, like, read back our patron shout-outs? Patrons, help us out here. Who would you want to mention your name every single week on the podcast? Right, because it would be a one-hit thing for sure. We wouldn't be able to mix it up and do other people. It would be like a one-time thing. Yeah. That's it. It's like Tom Cruise. Is but, he on? Is he on uh, pay, uh, cameo? I, I know Brett Favre is on cameo. Oh, Brett Favre! We could get Brett Favre. That'd be interesting. <laughs> we could get NFL superstar Brett Favre. Yes, this is Brett Favre. Um, you can follow the IPC podcast at social media. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I idea who remember. these people are, but they're paying me money to do this. So uh... right, they paid me sixty bucks to say this. So here it is. <laughs> it's like those Gene commercial he does. Like he's, he, what, I think it's Gene or like Jock commercials like that. He clearly doesn't use the product, but like he's being paid to talk about it and wear it on screen. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how sponsorships work. Let me see. Um... Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters is on Cameo. Okay, Joey would love that. Jim O'Hare from Parks and Recreation is on Cameo. <laughs> uh, let me see. Michael Rosenbaum is on there. Got a good voice. Uh, who's on Who's online right now? No, I don't want to get a deal, Cameo. Uh, I don't know any of these people. Mm, oh, Pendulette. Okay. Interesting. Oh. oh, Jay Jackson from Parks and Rec. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Flavor Flav. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Th- we found our man. We found our man. <laughs> Flavor Flav. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Oh, can't you do it by category? Isn't there like a category you can do? What's Saturday uh, on? Because I'm looking at. Uh... I'm just on. I'm just on Cameo.com. So there's athletes. There's cameos for charity. There's musicians, reality TV, Real Housewives, actors, YouTubers, political commentators, content creators, comedians. Ooh, I wonder if Bert Kreischer is on Cameo. Um, Caitlyn Jenner is on Cameo. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, Lindsay Lohan. Really? Yeah. Boy, this is a hell of a tangent. I I'm wait. This that's no, that's not who I searched for. Uh, I guess he's not on here. That's that's unfortunate. I was hoping the machine would be on here because you you you've seen that. You've seen that comedy special called The Machine, right? I am the machine. <laughs> I am the machine. <laughs> I am the machine, and uh, you are listening to the IPC podcast. <laughs> I would love for him to say that in Russian. 
all of our Russian listeners, shout out to you. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you. Ooh, Tom Felton is on here. Getting, is he? Getting Draco Malfoy to do our plugs. That would be pretty cool. Uh, who, who are the I'm other glad, actors? I'm glad we're having this this very informative production meeting live on the show. Robert Picardo from Star Trek is on here. Oh, oh my! Oh my! Oh my God! Oh my God! What did you oh find? My God. You know who's on cameo? Oh God! That bitch, Carol Baskin. <laughs> of course she is. Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. LeVar Ball. <laughs> oh my god. Pro wrestlers, gamers, models, and more. You can get Santa Claus on a cameo. Santa Claus. Richard Karn from Home Improvement is on here. <laughs> I wonder if Tim Allen is on here. That would be pretty uh-huh. cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> Athletes. Where's the ones that was actors? Categories. Oh, there's a whole category for the office. What? Who are these people? I don't recognize any of them. Oh, Oscar Nunez. Okay. Kate Flannery. Gilbert Godfrey. Can you imagine? Is he on there? Apparently. (laughs) You're listening to the IPC Podcast. (laughs) Leslie David Baker, Stanley himself is on Cameo. Oh, my God. Wait. Wait. The guy. Okay. Let me look at this. Okay. This guy named Larry Thomas is on here. Do you know who he is? He's the freaking soup Nazi from Seinfeld. No way. You can get the the soup Nazi. (laughs) No way. That is amazing. Wow. You can get you can get a lot of actors from Game of Thrones to do a cameo. Oh wow, James Cosmo. James Cosmo from Game of Thrones can do a fifty dollar cameo. Oh my gosh. Jamie Farr from MASH. What? Clinger. Clinger? Clinger. Wow. Roger Ashton Griffiths. <laughs> oh, dear God, I'm not paying $100 for that. No, 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 no. David Bradley, Eugene Simon, Julian Glover. You can get Julian Glover to do a cameo. Oh, my God. Julian, wait. The Julian Glover? From Empire Strikes Back. He's also in Game of Thrones. I thought he died. <laughs> that would be a really awkward cameo. Just silence. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. I swear. I swear he wasn't still around, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Office, TikTok, New England Patriots have their own category. How? Oh, there's a whole category for Disney. Okay. Oh, boy. Michael Bean from Terminator, who's supposed to be in Mandalorian. At some point. Fred Stoller from... Okay. Yeah, there's Gilbert Gottfried. Okay. 
Uh, who's Kevin Chamberlain? I don't. Oh, he's from a TV show. That's why I don't recognize him. Billy this Boyd. is like live. This is like live action Disney. I don't recognize any of these people. Oh, Jonathan Freeman, Jafar from Aladdin will do a $50 cameo. Oh, that would be good. That would be good. <laughs> Kathy and Jimmy will do one for $200. <laughs> oh, gosh. I didn't realize our... like how many people are freaking on here. Yeah, man. This is a really good side hustle. The announcer... From the Dallas Stars, like the the in-game, in-house announcer is on Cameo, and he will introduce people as if they were part of the starting lineup for the hockey team. <laughs> wow. See, now uh, I have to get famous enough to get on here so people actually want to hear my voice so that I can right? actually make money on this. Right. Dead gummit, Aubrey Plaza's not on here. Man, if if I could get her to say hello to me, even from a cameo, oh my god, <laughs> that would make my day. Oh, gosh, is Tina Fey on here? Now I'm just looking up. Steven Schinder in the chat saying, "This is the content I'm here for." <laughs> We're just browsing cameo on the show. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, I gotta go to the Cameo homepage because I am lost. New and noteworthy NFL football player Leonard Fournette will do a Cameo for $128. Uh, ooh, could I get Peter Dinklage? Would he do a Cameo? I don't think he's, I don't think, I don't think he's that desperate that he needs to do Cameos yet. <laughs> Who are these reality TV people? I don't recognize any of them. I'm so glad that I don't recognize any of these people because that means I don't watch reality TV. Yep. Yep. Same. Robert Picardo. Yep, there's the soup Nazi. Colin Mockery! (gasps) The comedian from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh my gosh. Freaking love that show. Dang, Hugh Corshi? Panaka from Phantom Menace? He's on here. Panaka? Really? Yeah, Panaka. I wonder if we could get Sio Bibble and be like, you must listen to the PC podcast. This podcast is outrageous. <laughs> it's a democracy. No way, Larry Hankin. <laughs> oh, that's, um... Mr. Heckles from Friends. Oh, really? There's Jamie Farr. Mario Cantone. I'm glad I don't watch that show. There's a there's a Robert De Niro impersonator who does I cameos saw for eight nine dollars. I saw that. Oh, you got David like, David Hasselhoff and Charlie Sheen. Phil Lamar. Oh, that guy's a legend. Oh, a famous voice actor. He could do like three or four voices all at once. Oh, oh uh, bringing God. it back to Mandalorian, Bernard Bullen, Din Djarin's daddy, is on here. Oh, really? Oh, Greg Proops will do a $40 cameo. I don't care what universe you're from. That's gotta hurt. <laughs> y- Yonas Swatomo? Chewbacca? He's on here. Really? Chewie's on here? Yeah, yeah. 
How about that? So is so is Billy D apparently. Oh, that's actually kind of sad that Billy D has to resort to something like this. I don't think. I think he's still living off that Rise of Skywalker check, I would think. I think he's okay. Nana Visitor from Deep Space Nine. There's another one of my crushes, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Saget does cameos. Of course he does. That would be amazing. $150. I'm like, hell no. I'm not paying you 250 bucks for a minute of your time, sir. Okay, um, Steven gets to decide. Do I cut this out completely or do I leave it into the final show? Steven, this is is up to you. You gotta give me an answer. Uh Uh-oh. Who else is on here? Man, I'm having way too much fun. Look at this. (gasps) Doug Jones does cameos! Oh my god. Mr. Saru himself. Captain Saru. Captain Saru. Hey, spoiler alert. Oh my gosh. Wow. Janet Varney does cameos. All right, Stephen. Stephen made it. This is all this is all staying in. I'm not cutting any of it out. Dude, this means so much to me cuz I literally just finished season 2 of The Legend of Korra. And Cora's voice actress does cameos. <laughs> oh my gosh. Paige Davis. Why do I know that name? I feel like I know that name, but I shouldn't know that name. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, a, a TikToker that dresses up as Pennywise does cameos for $90. I guess that's to like scare people or something. Probably. A little out of season for that, I think. <gasps> Gray Delisle Griffin. Do you yeah. recognize that name? Yes, I am familiar. Another famous voice actress, and she charges a bit more. That's a hundred bucks for a minute of her time. She's been in everything, everywhere. Goodness, man. Her IMDb credits are ridiculous. these people i don't recognize i just keep scrolling and i'm like nope 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 doesn't ring a bell oh here's somebody with my name tom arnold <laughs> oh tom worked arnold on, yeah tom arnold worked on worked on roseanne apparently yeah. i never watched the show so i don't know oh by the way julian glover still alive apparently <laughs> I, I i wow i uh i assumed wrongly good job man you just killed the guy and he wasn't even dead <sighs> yeah yet. poor guy jeez Richard Dreyfus. Dreyfus, really? Yeah, Richard Dreyfus. Wow, that's interesting. We're gonna need a bigger podcast. <laughs> Wilson Cruz from Star Trek. Yeah, I saw him. There's Jonathan Freeman, Brad Garrett. Oh, he would be amazing. Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Wow. There's certain people that like, oh, it's cool. This person is like really cool. I'd love to have a a cameo from them. And there's other people like Brad Garrett. Like, you know their delivery will be the best. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also cost the most. Like, so far for me, the best bang for your buck is Phil Lamar for like 45 bucks or 65 Mm -hmm. bucks. And he can do like a thousand different voices. So that's that's right, your exactly. 
you know, if you want. Like, if, if, you're talk, if you're talking about, like, the best bang for your buck, that is it. Like, you want your you want your podcast you plugs you as remember, Kit Fisto. When, right? Do you remember when we got a cameo for uh, celebrating one of our Milestone episodes? We did indeed. We got Tom Kane wishing us, I think it was, was it 250? The 250 or 300. It's been a, it's been a while. No, it wasn't 300 because we just did 300. And a bunch of really it was either, awesome. It was either, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 250. I think it was 250. That makes sense. And then a bunch of people chipped in and did one for SWU when we did our 10th anniversary, and it was oh, uh, Ahmed Best. That was almost freaking brought me to tears. Wow, man, that's awesome. I need to get off of this app before I actually start spending money. Yeah, this could, this is dangerous, real dangerous. This is, this is this is really dangerous. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna close the tab. I've got to get off of this. Yep, I'm closing it too. Closing it too. We're gonna get back to the show eventually. We have we have stuff to talk about. We literally have we, show notes. Well, we went off on this tangent. We, it's my fault. We did, it's my we fault. Not, we I'm the one. I'm the one that said, oh, "What it would be nice if we did a cameo thing for the thing," and then we. What was that? Two hours ago, uh, something like that. Oh man, let's go. Let's go to like some of our favorite moments and some of our like uh, hopes for the the rest of this season. Like he, the Mando's got a very uh, a very clear target, a very clear trajectory in mind as far as what this season's supposed to be about. He he right. wants to help the child find its way back to its own kind but to do that he wants to find other mandalorians he wasn't able to do that in this episode but he did have a pretty cool adventure along the way did pick up some mandalorian armor so it's it's kind of setting the stage for some bigger and better things to come but that's not to take away from the adventure that he did end up having which defeating a crate dragon that's pretty damn cool right like he he starts this episode. He he just he's going in to see Gore Koresh. Like, yeah, I need to find other Mandalorians. I'm not sure why, because like you know he he talks to the armor and the armor's like, go find his own kind. Like, go go find this baby's kind. And he kind of takes that as apparently, I need to go find other Mandalorians to kind of help me on my way. Which is fine, whatever. But it seems like that's gonna be the overarching theme of this so like he doesn't really get what he wants he goes there looking for a mandalorian who's going to guide him on his way to finding the child's people but then he runs into this guy who has mandalorian armor and he's like no 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 you got to take me give me that armor and so it's kind of a whole side mission he doesn't really get what he wants so like i'm assuming the next episode and maybe even the next one maybe the whole season will be about him finding you know other mandalorians coming across ones maybe boba fett is one of them but it seems like Boba Fett might be, might be tracking him. Um, but, like, I'm I'm curious what Mandalorian team might find. And obviously there's some rumors out there that we won't get into. But basically, you know, there's there's some interesting stuff that could happen. Some people he could run into. And, you know, I'm curious what the trajectory is going forward. Um, I'm just wondering what the next episode is. Because they don't throw this stuff out there. They just kind of give us the episodes as they go. They don't promote them. Uh, ahead of time, so like I'm very curious about the next episode, where he goes from here, where he's going, and what his overall objective is. In what what's he gonna find, and how are these Mandalorians gonna help him on his way? 
Well, dude, I mean, there are already established clans of Mandalorians in the canon that are in all likelihood in hiding just like his coven was. So I would not be surprised to see other clans referenced in Rebels or even in the Clone Wars somehow finding their way into this show as well. Even if it's just in a one-off thing where he encounters somebody with the last name Vizsla, like there's there's just so much potential out there for crossovers, especially from the stuff that Dave Filoni works on. It would be a travesty to not include elements from that, especially and, and this is this is where I get my logic from it, especially considering the last time we saw the Darksaber, it was in possession of the Mandalorians. So right. how how do we get from it being in the possession of one of the top Mandalorian clans to being in the possession of a moth of the Imperial Remnant? Like exactly. how did we get how did we get from there to there? I feel like we have to have somebody like Clan Wren involved in putting those two pieces of the puzzle together. And here, here's, here's another theory I'll throw out there. I'm not the first person to say this, but it's the first mm-hmm. person to kind of think, think of it in the context of what we've seen this season so far in regards to, like, Din Djarin looking for Mandalorians. What if, before the end of the season, maybe at the end of the season, his search for Mandalorians leads him... To Moff Gideon because possible spoiler alert here, Moff Gideon is a Mandalorian. Someone who was loyal to the Empire, a la you know, uh whatever his name is from, from, from Clone Wars and Rebels and all those guys that were exactly. wielding the dark side, Darksaber. Um, like what what if like Moff Gideon is that's the reason he has the Darksaber is because he was or is a Mandalorian. And maybe he thinks he's, you know, a part of it. I think that would be a neat twist. I don't know what to think of that. I, I want to I want to rebuff it, but I also kind of want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. It, I, I just thought of it. I'm like, that, I mean, that would be crazy to think about, but it's also within the realm of possibilities. It is. And, and I think that's the beauty of what they do with this show is they, they – give you enough episode by episode to feel satisfied to watch it week to week, but also leave enough of it open and ambiguous that there's plenty to speculate on as you get ready for the next week and the next week and even the season finale. So lots to look forward to for the remainder of the season. And this is definitely not the last conversation that uh, we're going to have on this show by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. But, um, what what are your thoughts on the Marshall specifically, and what are your hopes for the rest of the season as we get into final thoughts here? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I've kind of echoed what a lot of people have have talked about in regards to uh, I was I was taken aback by Timothy Oliphant and his performance, and I really enjoyed his character. I would love to see more of Cobb Vanth in any form. You know, whatsoever. Um, I think he's a really interesting character, a really endearing character, and one that could be really interesting going forward. So I, I hope, you know, if it's not this season and future seasons, just getting more of him 
in this role and you know playing with that character um, in any way we can possibly get it. Um, I think that would be really, really awesome. Um, I'm not really expecting anything. I think he probably will just be kind of a one-off character, but who knows? Who knows? But I would love to think that he he might show up again at some point. I mean, I'm with you. As much as I may have talked down about him earlier, I didn't dislike anything that he did. It's just that his performance, in my opinion, was a bit overshadowed by all of the other stuff that was going on in this episode. If there hadn't been so much world building, if there hadn't been so much lore establishment or lore confirming the way that they do with uh, with the Tuscans and the way that they do uh, just with the, the general storylines and, and surrounding characters, then I feel like Cobb Vanth would have stood out to me a little bit more. But I was so hunting for the Easter eggs that I ended up getting consumed by the nuggets and wasn't able to enjoy the meat that was his performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally fair. Um, but I am, I am hopeful that he'll be back. Uh, like you said earlier, he, the Dinjarin's creating of alliances is probably going to pay off in some fashion at the end of the season. Uh, I feel like he'll make at least one more friend and probably call on somebody that he was in contact with a season ago and, you know, find ways to bring five, six, maybe, you know, that number of people around him on his team uh, by the season finale so that there's a little bit more of a strike force type of feeling to it than what we've currently got. Um, but I, I feel like Cobb Vanth would be definitely a, a great addition to uh, to whatever that ends up becoming. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing other Covens. I think Din is eventually going to find another culture, another subculture of Mandalorians somewhere, and it'll be interesting to see you know how they are similar and how they differ because I feel like there are some. Uh, some families that may want to like remove their helmets and he may consider it a sacrilege or something like that. So um, there, there, there will be some interesting dynamics there moving forward that, yeah, he'll go on some side quests like he did with the crate dragon and it'll still be epic. But uh, on the days that he does find other Mandalorian covens, I don't think it's going to be completely pristine and perfect the way that he seems to be picturing it. I feel like there's going to be some bumps and bruises. There's going to be some rough spots um, as they encounter one another, and I think that could make for some really good TV too. So uh, I'm very hopeful for what the rest of the season holds. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like your idea that you mentioned earlier of like this Outer Rim Avengers, <laughs> like the idea yeah. that people are going to come together, and the idea that like he has these smaller missions, but it's all leading up to something, and he makes these connections with people for a reason, like the forces guiding right. him, for lack of a better term. And, you know, he's going to need these friends of his to, you know, possibly take us on something. Maybe it's Moff Gideon. Maybe it's something even bigger than him coming down the pipe that he's going to have to face and take on in the future. What do you make of the speculation that Thrawn could end up in this series? <sighs> that's that's a big one. That's something that I don't know how Thrawn, I don't know how they're going to deal with Thrawn. Obviously, there's a big rumor out there that there's going to be a Rebels sequel series that's going to deal with 
him and Ezra and bringing them back into the fold. Um, you know, I don't know. I think they're almost setting up Thrawn to be a good guy in, in like a, a protagonist in the galaxy at some point because he really doesn't in the new canon. He really doesn't have like a loyalty to the Empire. He's more kind of a free guy that's kind of just doing his own thing and and has his loyalties where he's with his people. So. I don't know, maybe the the animated show, whatever that becomes of, maybe that'll bring him back. Maybe we'll see him show up in Mandalorian eventually. I mean, we're looking at Mandalorian, like, it. this could be a long-running show, like, for a really long time. You're talking a super popular show. If they keep it going, we're, we could look at, you know, between, between five and ten seasons. You know, what, what could happen in season eight of Mandalorian? Like, that, I mean, Thrawn could easily show up as, as in that case. Hey, hey. Do not give this show the Firefly curse, okay? Hey, it's already broken it. It's already broken it with season two. Not necessarily. We're only nine episodes into it, and Firefly got, like, what, 14? So we got to make it through this next season before I call the Firefly curse over. But I have heard that they're already getting ready to shoot season three, so that is promising. I think think it's a pretty done deal. I think unlike Fox— Back in the day, I think Disney knows what they have here. They know that they have something special, so they're gonna they're gonna milk it for all they have. And you know what? I'll be there yeah, to take it. Twentieth Century Studios now. Why don't they bring back Firefly? Damn it! What if? What if next episode of Mandalorian? He's just in space. He's flying around, and they come up on a ship, and it's a Firefly class. No, don't. And do it's that to old me. Mal Reynolds flying it no don't do that to me <laughs> don't no nathan fillion 100 percent belongs in star wars but not as captain reynolds i still I'm, say I'm, you change a couple things firefly is basically star wars so like could happen. more or less I, I i always told people when i was recommending firefly to them i was like think of it as the adventures of han solo basically because He's basically Han Solo, but I digress. Um, <laughs> planet scores for the Marshall. Yeah, I'm gonna give it like a probably a nine out of ten. Like, I don't really have all that much to critique. I loved, I love the music, I love the action, I love the characters, and again the world building, uh, giving you more of Tatooine than we've ever seen before. Uh, more of the Tuscans than we've ever seen before. And this was a longer episode. Like people complained about the episode length in season one. This one was almost a full hour and I enjoyed all of it. Um, I, I guess some of the wild West stuff might've been a little too on the nose for me. And there was just a little bit of pacing that I wish that they could have picked it up in certain places. But for the most part, Everything about this episode was super enjoyable, so I give it a 9. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10 as well. I think other than a few minor things, it is a pretty—it's not a super action-packed episode. It's more slow-paced, um, and that just goes back of, you know, it's 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 that kind of episode. Um, so I can't really hold that too much against it, but I will say it does drag a bit in the middle. I'll just keep going back and forth from the, from the, the sand pit to the thing. It, it's, it's a little repetitive. On repeat viewings, it kind of gets drags, but— it still is very enjoyable. I think it's incredibly well done. Um, the visual, the cinematography, the music, 
everything is amazing about this episode, and it, it shows that, like, you know, they're, I mean, just the Krat Dragon, just itself, is, I continue to watch this episode, I'm trying to figure out how they did that in such a, it's so, if it's CG, it's like the most realistic CG I've ever seen, if it's a practical, how did they do that, like, it's just amazing, um, and there's so many things, they got the Banthas, they got, you know, the Mastiffs, there's so many moving pieces in here that I don't know how they pulled it off. And that's what fascinates me about, you know, Star Wars in general, is just how they do this kind of stuff. And this show looks amazing. It look it's I mean, it's the length of one of the longest episodes we've got. Like it's like fifty minutes long. And, you know, some of the earlier seasons were not that long at all. So this thing's basically a movie. Like you're watching on your T V, which is oh, crazy. Um, so it bodes well for the rest of the season. Cannot wait for the next episode, which is only a couple days away, as we're actually about 24 hours away, actually, as it goes, but as we're recording this, but, uh, this was amazing. Cannot wait for the next season. Nine out of 10 for me. Well, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed was getting a little bit of backstory about what happened right after the, the destruction of Death Star 2. Right. Like we, we we've seen some stuff at the end of Return of the Jedi, where there's different planets that are like toppling statues and setting off fireworks and celebrating, and Tatooine was no different. And what was interesting was we get like a little exposition about what happens to Tatooine at the end of the of the war at the destruction of Death Star Two, and uh, probably not what many would have expected or maybe it was what some would have expected but it was interesting to get that stuff confirmed from Cobb Vance's perspective so uh with that uh I'm just gonna sit back and let him do the talking for now as we give to you guys tonight's quote of the night you don't understand what it was like the town was on its last legs it started after we got news of the Death Star blown up. The second one, that is. The Empire was pulling out of Tatooine. There was blaster fire over Mos Eisley. The occupation was over. We didn't even have time to celebrate. That very night, the mining collective moved in. Our hates of vacuum and most Pelgo became a slave camp overnight. Hey, you okay? Come on, let's get you out of here. Let's go. It out. Took what I could from the invaders. Grabbed a Camtono. I had no idea it was full of silicax crystals. I guess every once in a while both sunshine on a womp rat's tail. I wandered for days. No food. No water. 
Jawas wanted the crystals. They offered their finest in exchange. My treasure bought me more than a full water skin. It bought my freedom. All right, there's one more order of business before we can officially put this episode to bed, although given our cameo tangent we did earlier, we probably should have put ourselves to bed about an hour ago. But if you're listening live on channel38.com, then get out your hashtags right now. If you're listening on social media, uh, get out your hashtags on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and anything else that might carry a hashtag, because it's time for another rousing and very interesting edition of Hashtag... BBQ watch. Barbecue. 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 Okay, dude, so at the very end of the episode, Mando kind of pulls what I consider a Guardians of the Galaxy type of move by allowing himself to get eaten and then setting off the detonator from within the beast and then like kind of exploding his way out of it. It it very much felt like Drax from Guardians 2 a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have single-handedly slain the beast. But uh, the the repercussions that come after that, you know, after the crate is officially dead, is the the Tuscans start harvesting it, you know, pulling out some very tender and very purple almost type of meat. And Mando takes a big chunk of it home with him. And the the Tuscans are, are peeling the meat right off of the bone as they're digging uh, through the organs, they find that pearl you mentioned earlier. That's a KOTOR reference. Right. Uh, let's just talk about the process of preparing a crate dragon uh, in in the barbecue sense. Like, I feel like that tenderloin would be really good slow cooked. But can you imagine trying to prep and cook those ribs that we saw? <laughs> I'm telling you, they were huge, and some of them probably already cooked from. Uh... From that explosion that happened inside of him, yeah. So uh, singed. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned something earlier about uh, before we started the show how the like the meat that like obviously the Tuscans are like okay you leave, we'll help you out if you leave us the carcass like this has got to be like crate dragons are rare and then dead crate dragons have to be super rare. So like, mm. how like how expensive? What I'm thinking is like, Mando gets like this giant steak that he puts on the back of his thing. I would think he probably is just gonna like sell that thing <laughs> to somebody oh, for like a lot of money. Yes. Oh yeah, I mean that that's the thing is if it if it is so dangerous and takes so much effort to kill a crate dragon, then harvesting its meat has to be 
one of the like most badass moves you could have on all of Tatooine. Like, yeah. not only did I slay the beast, but I come with some of its meat. Like, this has to be the type of food that the huts want to eat. You know, yeah, that's that's like, a big old is, steak for Jabba the Hutt if he was still around. This is this is top notch tenderloin easily, and so to to have that big of a piece shows that you took down that big of a monster and that's your cut. And yeah, I can imagine that going for a very hefty price. That's going to fix up the crest. That's going to give him some weapons and some modifications and some fuel and probably be able to freeze dry some more of it and save it for later. Like, I don't think he's just taught thinking about like his next couple of meals. I think he's thinking about his next couple of purchases and that could end up proving big later on in the season is if he's able to use that crate meat for some other type of exchange of goods or services, then yeah, that slaying the beast is actually probably going to help him in the long run. I think. Oh yeah. Like that's uh that's some very valuable meat, and like, I don't know how you prove it. Like, you know, he, like he goes to like a market or something like this. They're like, like, yeah, I got, I got some crate dragon steak right here. They're like, yeah, right. Like you slayed a crate dragon. Nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess some sort of DNA test, or you got to go to an expert who knows for sure whether or, it's or crate a or not. Or a selfie of him next to the crate dragon, <laughs> dead. Smile. <laughs> wow. You and your great ideas. God. I'm I'm full of them, man. Full of them. You're full of it. That's what you are. I, hey, hey, hey. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> oh man, I think I think steaks are probably the best way to prepare this going back to the barbecue perspective. I think I think slow cooked crate steaks is the best way to go cuz trying to prep uh like sirloins might be a little bit tough. Like imagine the pressure you must be under if you try to actually cook and prepare this meat. Like the meat is so rare that if you overcook it like you've wasted that much valuable meat. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so. there's uh, there's some possibilities in there. There's some uh interesting to see like that's going to be the plot of the next episode him trying to sell that off. <laughs> <laughs> or trying well to cook it be. or trying to cook it. Yeah. Yeah. Who who knows what's going to happen in the next episode. That's the beauty of this show is it gives you just enough to satisfy you but leaves you with just enough wanting to be able to figure out what happens next. So yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's probably, probably best if we do that here on the IFPC podcast too, leave people wondering what we're going to be talking about. But uh, I have a very strong feeling that we're going to be flipping from one franchise to the next, which is the cool thing about IPC is we can talk about Star Wars one week and then uh, some other star show the next week. So be sure to be on the lookout for that and be sure to follow our social media in the meantime to keep up with any promotions and live notifications that we may have. Uh, IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I mentioned earlier ipcpodcast.podbean.com is our main podcasting host site. Uh, we've got previous episodes on starwarsunderworld.com. We've got swag over at TeePublic. That's tpublic.com slash user slash podcast. We've got shirts. We got stickers, we got notebooks, we got 
uh, long sleeve. We got hoodies for that cold weather. There's all kinds of cool stuff over there. And uh, we got some pretty cool stuff on our main socials, too. Ben, you have not changed your social recently, have you? Not in the last, not in the last seven days or last two weeks or so since we last spoke. Um, at oh, okay. with no you, you, yeah, you Well, you changed like your 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 profile name, but not your handle name. Right? No, neither have changed. Even though, even though on Facebook, I have changed. That's right. You are now Ben Jammin Hart. Uh huh. J a m m i n. That really threw me for a loop. The first time you reacted to one yes. of my posts, I was like, "Who is this, and why are you on my Facebook?" That that was what I was going for because I was going to announce it. I was going to like, "Hey, look what happened! Look what I did!" And it's like, "No, I got to do this subtly. I got to do this more mm-hmm. more sneakily and see how many people notice." And then people slowly started going, "What the hell did you do?" Yep, pretty damn much. But uh, no, I haven't. I haven't changed my socials either. I am still Zach the Voice on Facebook and Twitter, Z A C H the Voice, and Zach dot the Voice on Instagram. Although I probably haven't posted much on Instagram lately, aside from my Halloween costume from a few days back, but, which is amazing. Uh, which is amazing. Hopefully, I I really enjoyed doing that costume. Like I put a lot of thought and effort into that Alan Grant outfit, and I got a lot of responses because I was at Six Flags. And so while I was in line, I had people say stuff like, you seen any velociraptors around here lately? And I was like, <laughs> I just happened I just happened to bring my bottle opener that's shaped like a raptor claw, and I would pull it out of my pocket and show it to them. And I'd be like, yeah, I pulled one off of this dude right here. Um, and then uh, one other person said something like, so you really spared no expense on that costume, huh? <laughs> You were just full oh. of the dad jokes. Oh man, it was it was fun. It was really fun. So I'm looking forward to taking that costume out to comic cons and stuff when uh, when they're finally back up and running. But maybe a little while before that happens. So yeah, just a little bit. Go check out that cosplay slash costume whatever at Zach the Voice, and uh, go check us out at IPC Podcast on all major socials and uh, be on the lookout for our next episode because it's right around the corner. Yep. And I'm cutting all of this out and uh, Charlie Sheen is going to do the outro now. Excuse me? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. If I can get the money. Oh, from Cameo. <laughs> it it took you a minute, didn't it? Yeah, I was like, how are you going to find a clip that specific that you're going to take out all of what I just said? And have Charlie Sheen stay it instead. Can you imagine me going back and watching all however many seasons of Two and a Half Men and then piecing together all of that to recreate A PC podcast (laughs) on media, social. (laughs) I don't know. It's getting late, guys. It's getting late. It really is. So we're going to put this episode to bed and then put ourselves to bed. Episode 307 of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast is now officially in the books. For Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next time. But until that time comes around, we're just going to leave you with this final thought. Heroes are made by the times. We hope to see you all next time right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
As many of you have noted uh, that use the internet, it has been announced that Disney has required the rights to the Star Wars franchise, and in the summer of 2015, we will see the release of Star Wars uh, Episode Seven. Herewith is my proposal for the plot of that movie. Uh, begin with standard uh, title uh, sequence and John Williams fanfare, uh, followed by a scroll to be written. I would like to mention that Brian De Palma wrote the original opening scroll for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. I think it would be a nice nod uh, to the franchise if he were to write this opening scroll. Then, pan down from the twin sons of Tatooine, uh, we are now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc Pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the sand outside the Sarlacc pit, and the feared bounty hunter pulls himself from the maw of the sand beast. Okay, this is exactly... And we realize uh, that he survived his fall uh, during the battle at Jabba's uh, palace ship. Then do a hard cut uh, to a repurposed uh, Imperial destroyer. Uh, which has now been taken over by the Rebels. Uh, Commander Luke Skywalker, now a full Jedi Knight, uh, training new Padawans, uh, is using, ironically, uh, his father Anakin's red lightsaber, which will be uh, a a symbolic, I think, visual for his battle uh, with how to uh, both bring about the new uh, Jedi Order uh, while still um, acknowledging his father's uh, fall from grace. Uh, as he is training the Padawans, we pan outside of the control uh, window to a nearby asteroid where we see, and please allow me to finish this because it's going to seem like a bit of a jump, we see Thanos, who was the oh, villain on. teased at the end of the first Avengers movie. Now, Thanos, as you know, owns the Infinity Gauntlet, which has the time gem, the mind gem, the power gem, the space gem, and the reality gem. If he holds the reality gem, that means he can jump from different realities. This will be our link from, to the Marvel Universe from the Star Wars Universe. Uh, we then cut to Earth. Uh, Tony Stark uh, realizes okay. uh, that okay. there is... She, Tony Stark realizes that, that there is a... Tony Stark. Is. I know who that is. This is the first person I've known. Tony Stark realizes, I, I do not recognize uh, the chair. Tony Stark realizes that there has been a disturbance uh, in, in what he will call a time ribbon. Uh, for the time being, I will allow J.J. Uh, Abrams to think of a better uh, term for this. Uh, and, and he then starts to assemble uh, the, the cream of the Marvel Universe, not, not the second tier superheroes that we saw in the first Avengers movie. I'm sorry, but Hawkeye and Black Widow are not first tier. He would go find, uh, hello, Spider-Man. Spider-Man exists in that universe. He would go find Moon Knight. He would go find Daredevil. He would go uh, find Hercules. And then that can bring in the entire uh, uh, pantheon of Greek gods that we saw in Clash and Wrath of the Titans. So now we have a giant three uh, franchise tie-in. Now, cut back to uh, the Imperial Star Destroyer. Uh, Luke uh, gets a visit from, and we only show this from the boots up first, so we show these, like, black boots with the, and then we pan up and, oh my god, it's Han Solo, but he's old, older and grizzled and, and really, like, focused and cool, like, he's seen some really bad stuff, and he actually seems shaken, and, and Luke is like, what's wrong, old buddy, and that's when Han drops Chewbacca's severed head onto the floor, yes, in front no of all the Padawans. No way, kids aren't gonna the like floor, it. In front of the Padawans. Kids are not Please gonna- let me finish, thank you. The Padawans are all horrified, and 
uh, 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 Han says that the planet Kashyak has been destroyed by this very mysterious force. Now, we know, oh, this was Thanos. Thanos is beginning to, uh, you know, uh, gather power in this new universe. So uh, while they take Chewie's head down uh, to, because we've seen that, you know, they can build new bodies. They're going to build Chewie, this really cool robot. I, I'm thinking spider body, you know, like a cool spider body with Chewie's head and, and ion cannons on it. But that will be in the, he'll come back. That'll be the, the, post-credits tease of this film. So keep that in mind. So I don't want you guys bummed out because Chewbacca's not dead. He will come back. Uh, then uh, And then Han all... And then Luke looks down and, and Han's wedding ring is gone. Hey, what happened with you and Leia? And Han's like, don't even get me started on that. So now we don't... Where, where did Leia go? Where did Leia go? She's not gone, but we will find out but in a second. The female part's now, a little underwritten whole, so far, sir. I'd like to point that out. I am... I Citizen filibuster, thank you. And, and really, thank you for respecting uh, our town laws by interrupting me during this. Uh, where was I? Yes. Exactly then why we need at to... the then at the edge of the uh, of the Star Destroyer's orbit, suddenly the time ribbon begins uh, wavering, and what comes through the X Men's Quinjet? That's right. We, what we did was back on Earth, we showed him gathering up all the heroes, but we didn't see him gathering up the X Men. So, oh my goodness! Now Wolverine's going to be there. Now Cyclops is going to be there. So the Quinjet comes through. Luke gets in his X wing to go out and meet them, and they engage in this awesome star battle. And it looks like the Quinjet actually is going to shoot Luke down and suddenly this volley of lasers comes in and 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 what comes flying in is we think it's going to be it it, we think it's going to be the millennium falcon just like in episode four when he comes in and saves him uh during the battle of yavin but no it is slave one that's right boba fett ship ship slave one has to save luke because of course he's trying to track down han he can't have luke die so then now it's a battle between the Quinjet, between the X-Wing, between Slave One, and then uh, we see that Millennium Falcon uh, is flying away. So uh, now um, Slave One goes off to do, to do that. But then, then we cut down to Corsican, where uh, uh, Princess Leia uh, is now consulting with, um, uh, with Lando Calrissian. Now it looks like they're just having a very intense meeting about trade regulations and about I will not I will not finish my speaking about trade regulations and 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 but then suddenly once when the rest of the council meeting leaves they fall into each other's arms oh my god Lando Calrissian and Princess Leia are having an affair and that is why Han Solo because look Lando Calrissian was like hey if I'm going to lose the Millennium Falcon to you I'll just take your woman and he has so then we set that triangle up now Cut back to the Quinjet, and Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four is piloting it. Oh, it was a fake-out. It's him, and we have uh, select members of the X-Men that I thought, in, in my opinion, were, um, were not uh, focused on properly in the earlier films. We have Colossus in there. We have X-23, uh, which is Wolverine's daughter. And then we have a now mind-controlled Sabretooth. And, of course, Wolverine. So imagine those two going up against Robot Chewbacca, because that's going to happen. That is what we're teasing right now. I have literally have no fluid in my mouth. i got to do a Marco Rubio. Can we please cut? <laughs> 